You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, as we are the return of Intelligent Radio, as we ensure the free flow of open opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing? Good morning, Montoya. I'm doing good. I'm I'm here. I'm awake. Saturday. The weather's nice. I'm doing good. Hey, absolutely glad to have you back in the saddle with me as you are co special guest co-host. We have a returning guest as well. And as I kind of told y'all prep right before the show, I think this might be one of the best shows we ever did. I'm already prepping it. I'm calling it. I'm putting points on the board. And so let's see if we can hold up as I bring my man Mark a.k.a. Hollywood Ranger, as I personally call him. Thank you, King, for being back with us uh, once again. It's early morning for you out in L.A. You got your coffee. You're ready to go. And you are the CEO of Money Motivation, one of our longtime sponsors. I wanted to shout that out uh, before saying what's up to you, King. But thanks a lot for being with us. Say hello to Ashley and hello to the truth seekers out there listening. And let's go ahead and get a little bit of your background. And Ashley, we'll come back to your background as well because both of y'all are Specifically needed for this morning's show. Uh, but go ahead, King. Thanks a lot for being with us. No doubt. Uh, what's up, everybody? Happy Saturday. Uh, hey, Ashley, how are you? And yes, Mark Ranger, always good to be here. Um, I, uh, I'm a businessman through and through. I love the game of business and money. And uh, as Montoya said, I'm the founder and CEO of the Money Motivation brand, which is a media and apparel brand. Um, that uh, has a mission of inspiring a life of power and freedom, and it's based out of Los Angeles. Uh, I also act as a financial executive for a Fortune 300 firm. Uh, we focus on wealth management for individuals and business owners, uh, as well as independent business building. And I've been putting in work in the financial industry for 17, 18 years, and it's definitely great to be here again. Excited to know that, that this show is going to be one of the greatest of all time. I'm going to tell you so. It's good to be on. But, you know, I know you like you one of them cats that, you know, you like to be on the best teams of all time. So, I, you know, I had to get That's ready. Right. So, so I've been working my butt off to get this one ready right here. But, again, Ashley, um, you, again, no slouch yourself. Thank you for being back. You are brilliant when it comes to this area of economics and finance. And you are a personal finance coach. But I'll let, them, let you tell a little more about yourself, if you will, Queen, before we let the cow the bag on this morning's discussion question. Yeah, so I am a personal finance coach over at Making Money Matter. I help people create budgets, uncover their financial priorities, 
come up with their financial goals and back into that um, in a realistic manner with their budget. And um, in my nine to five, I am a client service manager for institutional 401k plan in the background, making sure that it's running correctly. So I'm excited to be here this morning. No, absolutely. And let's go ahead and let people out there listening know what we're discussing this morning. If you are a first-time listener, again, I go by the name Black Socrates. We take the Socratic method to a lot of these discussions that we have, which is asking the right questions to get to the right answer. And so we put the show in the form of a question. And this morning's discussion question is, what exactly does a Black economic movement look like? What exactly does a black economic movement look like is this morning's discussion question. And the way that I always start is pretty simple before we go to our first break. Uh, however, I will highlight the fact that, Marcus, I call, when I called you and said, hey, can we do this show? I said, you actually are responsible for this morning's title just due to, again, some previous visits to the show and some things you and I, again, being longtime friends, having went to college together, you've been saying this this one quote that I'm going to share of yours, um, if you will, and it kind of led to this morning's discussion question. And again, on the show, on a previous show, you said this, but again, I've been hearing you say this for years. Uh, as an African American community, to an extent, your your quote is: we, "We've had a civil rights movement, we've had a political movement, but we've never had an economic movement." That's something that I've heard you say on several occasions throughout the years on this show a couple of times, and I've been on the radio on, in other places as well. So you've been saying this for a number of years, and we've gotten deep into your story or why you wanted to in particular get into the finance world, which, again, we're, well, I think we we might, as an African-American community, I think we're about 1% to 2% at most when it comes to the level of finance that, that you're at and, and us understanding this game called money, if you will. But the way I would like to start before we get too deep, um, in this morning's discussion question, and I'll start with you as a uh, special guest, is what exactly does a black economic movement look like? When you heard, first heard the question worded that way, can you recall what your first thought came to mind? Cause, you know, and I already prompted you that I got it from you. So what did you think when I first said, hey, this is what I'm going to call the show? What was your first thought? So it definitely went back to multiple discussions that we've had Montoya about that exact quote that, that you mentioned. And I know, you know, that's been something that has been branded in my brain for a long time, where I do believe that we've mobilized in many different ways over the years, social movements, civil rights movement, educational movements, political movements. And through all of those struggles, uh, we've certainly made advancements and achieved levels of success that our ancestors once dreamt of. But it can be argued that we still don't have the individual and collective base of power that we've been fighting for. And why is that? And in my opinion, it's because we've never actually had an economic movement to create the true base of power that comes with money, that comes with finance in a capitalistic system. So to answer your question, you know, when I heard the, the question or the title or phrase of this or branding of this particular show, I first started to think about, well, what, you know, what, how would I define a movement? And I think about a movement as uh, when you have a shared purpose, if you have a group of people that come together with a shared purpose to create change is the way I think about it. So I started there and just saying, you know, what would that be? And then the economic side being specifically that that is the purpose, meaning to me it's where we have a shared purpose to create change, but the focus in the new philosophy is on a self-sufficient economic philosophy because every generation has got a new story to write 
and we're marching in a different point in history. We've been defined by the past. We've got a lot of shoulders that we've stood on, began in slavery, began on the shores of Africa, brought here as slaves, defined as less than citizens, struggled for basic human rights for centuries. We fought for them. And we, we weren't given those rights really until a few years ago. Even, and even today, we still fight for equality, but why? So I believe now our generation, we are provided the opportunity to break through some old restrictions and blaze a new trail. And as a matter of fact, that's the debt we owe, in my opinion. That's our responsibility to change it and make a different contribution that builds on that, but to focus on the economic first and, and do it in a different way. So that was my initial thought when I heard it. No, I love it. Uh, Ashley got about a minute and a half before we go to the break. Queen, if you will, what was your first thought? And again, thank you for co-hosting with me this morning. What was your first thought when you heard that question? What exactly does a black economic movement look like? The first thing that came to my mind was how can we get over the divide? Uh, I feel like there are so many things that make us divisive as a community right now. Um, that when you talk about coming together financially, very intentionally, how do we do that, right? Like, because everything is about that there's just this very at odds between black women and black men around so many other things. How can we put that on pause to come together for a very intentional purpose of, putting our dollars in a very specific place or advancing financially. Uh, that was the first thing that, that came to mind for me. Now, I respect that. I know I quite often say we'll go to break. I quite often say that for all the pushes that we've had throughout the years, similar to uh, what Mark had to say as far as political movements, social movements, you know, or even now there's a big push for financial literacy or we hear by black, all of these terms that are associated with even today's topic, I always say it's all for not if we don't fix the basic relationship between the black man and the black woman in, in, in a sense, because ultimately any type of economic movement is not going to be sustained if it doesn't become generational. And then in order for it to be generational, in a sense, you have to have black families intact. So I definitely respect that thought, um, if you will, Ashley. But again, we're going to go to our first break. When we come back, we're going to get hot and heavy into this morning's discussion question. So excited to have both of you on. Again, Ashley Thomas, personal finance to coach, as well as Mark Ranger, founder and CEO of Money Motivation. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. 
circulation in the black community for only six hours cannot be substantiated. The federal government does not produce data that would allow such comparison. In addition, economists contacted by Truth Be Told News said uh, some of the data cited, such as information about dollars circulating in the Jewish community, is questionable because the federal government does not collect information by religion. So just on the surface of it, it doesn't make sense. That's like saying, oh, well, the dollar lasts in the Christian community 20 hours. How would you measure that? You can't measure a Christian dollar. You can't measure a Muslim dollar. You can't measure measure a Jewish dollar. It's, it's not. That's not how things are done. It says the early source of the statistics appear to be a book that is nearly 20 years old. See how long this thing is just. We just got to put a stake in this thing's heart and let it die. Economic experts agree that blacks may spend little of their estimated 1.1 trillion. I guess we want to three. Blah, blah, but within black businesses. And they agree efforts like answers to patronize uh, those businesses are laudable, but they add that proponents should stop, stop, please stop using a six-hour figure. While it's shocking, it cannot be verified. And so I know you may be saying, so what's the big deal? Why mean, uh, it just sounds good. Why not use it anyway? It, it kind of makes sense. Here's the problem when we keep using bad data. It makes you sound unbelievable to people who are really trying to understand what you're saying. Let me give you a perfect example. Let's say, for instance, you and I came together and we were having a discussion. I said, I want to prove something to you, but let me start out with the fact that 2 plus 2 is 5. And so now if I start out with the fact that 2 plus 2 is 5, I want to explain how this formula is going to work. You're going to tell me, no, 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 we can't start with 2 plus 2 is 5 because I know that's not accurate. And I said, don't worry about that. Let's just start there anyway. They're close to numbers, 5, 6, 7, well, who cares? But let me start there, and we can work our way through. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. So please, 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 when you hear this, 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 this myth, this urban myth, this Candyman-type myth continue to be spread by people, please come back to this video, share this video with them, share this article with them, and yeah. say that is just not true. There is no way to measure a racial dollar. In other words, the Hispanic dollar lasts this long. In the, what, how are you measuring? Where's the data? What is considered a community? So we have to stop that if we're going to move forward. Yes, we should spend more with black businesses. Yes, that would be wonderful. All that I agree with. But let's not use bad data and urban myths to try to prove a point. So let's kill it. Put a stand. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. Our special guest is Mark Ranger, CEO of Money Motivation. This morning's discussion question, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? As I just played a cut in reference to a famous myth, if you will, about the dollar only circulating six hours in the black community. And the reason I started here is because I wanted to walk through this thing. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, Mark and Ashley on for the next couple of hours. So we're going to walk through, uh, again, this discussion question. What exactly does a black economic movement look like? And so where I wanted to start, I wanted to get y'all thoughts on it was the idea of uh, I once put together something known as a, a black buying black manifesto. And one of the first things I put in the manifesto was to stop all 
black pop, black spending myths to stop all of the myths that are out there. This one being one that I used to use years ago before I realized it was a myth. And I, I'm starting here because, um, Mark, if you will, when you pointed out all of these different type of things that we focused on and, and, and what our charge should be as the newer generation standing on, if you will, the shoulders of our, our previous ancestors. Well, uh, I'm starting here because in, in my mind, in order to take on that charge, we, we, we no longer need to see ourselves psychologically in a way that's not true, such as even something such as a myth of this nature. Basically, um, the, the guy ended the, the video saying, what's the point? Well, the point of pushing financial myths such as that to point out how bad we are, how wrong we are, and Focusing on that are, are the idea for people who, in a sense, push that narrative. And I used to use it again this same way a lot of years ago before figuring this out. But if the idea is like if we realize how bad we are, then maybe we'll move. And I think one of the first things we can do is get our psychology right in order to come around to actually the practical things that it actually takes to, in a sense, create an economic movement. So I know I said a lot there. Um, but again, you being the guest, Mark, I'll start with you. Any thoughts? And there's some other myths out there as well, but any thoughts about killing these myths that, in a sense, mess with the psychology of us as we are? And worse yet, we pass along these myths to our children by repeating them often. Go ahead, King. Um, yeah, I'm not articulate enough or educated enough around the, you know, the specific example brought up in, in, in the, the, the clip that you, paid, you played. Um, I definitely agree uh, with the the core of dispelling this because information is is a big key to this entire puzzle around the economic movement. The information is and access to the right information is what saves us years of heartache, years of time, and years of unnecessary effort. And if you have a basis of the wrong information, either uh, statistical information that you're using to make decisions or information about how to build wealth or what you should focus on, if those things are wrong, then yes, that baseline of incorrect information will cause us years of heartache and years of unnecessary work. So from that standpoint, absolutely, I agree with dispelling this and making sure we have the right information and access to the right information because it's all about leverage. It's about, I mean, the wealthy and the rich, they, it's, it's leverage of time. And it's not, it's not what you do with your time. It's what you get exposed to that makes the difference. And if your exposure is to the wrong information, then that does create a problem and continues to set us back. So from that standpoint, my reaction is, yes, we have to dispel those things. But I also, taking a slightly different angle, I tend to look at it more strategically because whether we got that stat right or wrong with, you know, the cycle of the dollar, just using that example in the black community, I think it's more strategic around the wealth gap and saying no matter how many times the dollar circulates in the black community, the real game is are we closing the wealth gap in terms of the wealth of black people versus the median wealth of white people or others? And what are the moves that we are making to do that? That to me is the real game. And, and the myth, the overwhelming myth that I've been fighting and that I, I believe as part of this whole economic movement, movement discussion is that we have to have a, a, a change in our priorities in terms of the way that we think and come up and groom our children because historically, and we've had this conversation, Montoya, it's been 
we pursued education first, politics second, and then economics, finances, and business. That's been somewhat of the the formula, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that has been ingrained in our brains around wealth and the belief that, okay, if we pursue education and fix politics in some way, that'll put us on the right path because the money will follow. But from a wealth and economic perspective, that doesn't make sense. The emphasis on that educational path first is in the wrong priority. It doesn't mean education is not important. It's just the wrong priority. So to me, that is a big myth. And we have to have part of this economic movement discussion cannot occur without understanding that the foundation of wealth is a concept of priorities. And we got to have an absolute reversal in the cultural, theological, and educational approach to our lives. And, and the premise for me in that is this. You can have power through an economic base without education and politics. You can. Mm-hmm. But you cannot have power through education and politics without an economic base. When you only have education and politics, you have, it's an illusion of power. And that's a dangerous illusion. So strategically, from a myth perspective, those are the things that I challenge related to this economic movement. And, and as a core of the start of it is we have to shift those priorities. No, I love it. And the myth specifically being the myth that having the priorities wrong, that education and politics, the myth of what that will bring, that, that, that is absolutely the myth that, again, yeah, definitely that could and should be dispelled. And I doubt that too many people would even dispute that at this point, just based on even the outcomes that we see today. Um, Ashley, any thoughts in reference to uh, the six-hour myth or anything that uh, our guest had to say? Go ahead, Queen. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, yes, the myth is it, it could be wrong just based on the data, right? Like, there's no way to really find out how long the money is staying in the community. But even for the data being faulty, it's true, right? Like, I, I stay in Gwinnett County, so one of the most diverse counties in the southeast United States. And when you talk about, I've seen, like, restaurants open. And in my area, there are a bunch of Asian restaurants. And when they open, there is overwhelming support, right? Like, they have flowers in there. They have all of these um, letters of congratulations. Like, everyone is going there in droves. They're going to their farmer's markets, right? Like, you're seeing those things happening in their community. And so, like, for me, sometimes myths are necessary in order for you to create the conversations, right? Like, is there another way that we can start having these conversations, you know, and, and it might be that it has to be addressing the myths, addressing the untruth and the things that are being said. Um, but it's about having those conversations and really creating a baseline. And, and I think sometimes, you know, like we don't, define things for ourselves as a community, we go based on what everyone else says or what the numbers say, and it's not something that we created for ourselves. So there has to be a conversation for us to come together on, like, these basic definitions of what's really happening and trying to move forward. But I I think that Mark is that on the nose, you know, like, we have traditionally focused on education and politics and what happens with us financially, economically as a community is, is just continuing to happen across generations, right? There's a whole bunch of shame and guilt and ignorance that comes with money that other communities have had hundreds of years 
to get it right, to perfect it, to create a system that works for them, and we're scrambling trying to get our dollars together. So, yeah, th- those are my thoughts. Now, I respect the thoughts. I'll say, um, again, just being a, da- a data-driven person that to, to, to the degree that I think the more accurate the information is, the better opportunity we have, in a sense, not to be in a scramble. I, I would offer that um, that having myths as a starting point, if you will, and I do agree that you can definitely start the conversation. And, again, I've used some of these, quote, unquote, myths as well. Uh, but I'll say that simply in a sense, starting there versus saying, hey, in a sense, not looking at the data starts you down the wrong path, which I think is always the risk. Uh, like, I, for example, you know, like even you pointed out, uh, um, for example, um, how those restaurants open and things like that. You know, living in Atlanta, we are very fortunate to see when, for example, our businesses open. Just to throw this out, uh, our businesses open here in Atlanta, you're going to see droves of support within our community. That's one of the best mm-hmm. things about living, you know, down here in Atlanta that you see these major, major pushes and support for, for example, black businesses opening, if 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 you will. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things, I'll just say this right now because I think it's a perfect segue. Uh, again, I told you putting together a, a buying black manifesto. One of the things I put in there, one of the major points was, for example, African-Americans do support one another in business. Like just that thought, how often I grew up, hearing or thinking or believing that we did not support one another in business when I, and then just kind of looking through, in a sense, if you will, the numbers, if you will, that is something that will get debated. We've had a debate on our mental dialogue Zooms and things of that nature, and a lot of people, in a sense, buy into that. And the bigger point, and we've had these dialogues about properly structuring business, understanding how to market, and all of these things are, in a sense, not sim- simple or quite often having business owners, for example, wearing a bunch of hats, so something, in a sense, may fall short. But the reality is when our business owners get that right, and I, get, and I gave this example for uh, in the Blind Buying Black Manifesto, a brother by the name of Sam Tisdale, for example, uh, successfully came became the first black-owned beauty supply store in Nashville, Tennessee, and grossed $50,000 in three hours on opening day. So I'm very interested and hope one day that I could even, for example, track down on Mr. Tisdale to find out what what was that marketing, what drove him having that type of success, because clearly – he pulled all the levers correctly to have that type of success. And for what I understand, he's sustaining himself very well now. And there's a bunch of examples like that. And so, for example, you know, the idea that we don't support one another in business, which I've heard a million times over, when the reality is I see those examples and find out instead of, and, and we should look at, well, what did they do, this black-owned business owner, to have this type of success versus this idea, this myth that we get that we don't support our own? And a lot of times it's driven by what we say and the psychology of what we pass down or even just proximity. If you're not in Atlanta, maybe it's not that easy, if you will, to just run around and support your own, even if you would like to be part of a, a by black movement, if you will. And again, this is just, again, spending a little time on the psychology and we'll move into some more numbers going into this next segment. But if I could, um, more any thoughts on what I had to say there, and we may get to a caller before the next break. I, it's, this is a tricky conversation because 
you know, the the cycle of the black dollar and that, because, uh, you know, I've heard that and probably have used that, too. I mean, I think we've all fallen victim to some false information, maybe, and, and, and have used it. But I think that the concept of going to your point, spending money in the black community, that's really what that's intent, what that was intended to do. It was intended to mm-hmm. try to create a, a messaging and a, and a shared purpose of can we spend more dollars in the black community? Because regardless of how many times it cycles, if you're spending more money in black community, that's creating more jobs, that's allowing more business opportunities, that's creating more opportunities for other businesses to come into the community and, 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 and creating a baseline by which the community can thrive. I mean, there's no denying that. The more money you pour in, the more access we have to do things. And so, you know, that's why that's always tricky to, 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 to dissect. But also, in terms of spending money in the community, I think it's, it's about perception as well. Our, we have a lot of, and you pointed to it, the psychology, I think sometimes unknown bias and perceptions against ourselves that create and cause us not to do what normally you'd naturally be inclined to do. If I'm with my family, I'm going to spend time and spend money and do things with my family. And normally you should be inclined to do that with your community because of the society we lived in and because of how we've been conditioned even when you do stay in close proximity many times, you may not go there because you have a different perception around the type of product you're going to get or the service that you're going to get or the area that it's in or whatever the case may be, which are all, I think, conditions. They're conditions. There's nothing inherently wrong with a black business versus a white business, but we've been conditioned to believe mm-hmm. there are differences and then take the money outside of the community, which I think is, a, is again, back to this economic movement question what does an economic movement look like is changing that perception and saying no there's a store that has what i need right here i'm going to go there and spend the money there and support that business absolutely i love that we are going up against the break this break is actually um from one of your favorites uh dr claude anderson and so we're going to listen to this cut break it down and then we're going to open up i see you out there brother pianca we've got a couple other callers that want to get in so we'll open up the phone lines coming out of this cut Listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't black go having the businesses and industries. There's a direct link, black won't practice group economics, black won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money, and hold that money, and, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces <clears throat> 12 to 13 times what it leaves. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money from the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, 
Then you go to the third floor. The third floor is in the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor is the fourth floor that is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75, 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk, all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to it when they, when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March, what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. And our special guest is Mark Ranger, CEO of Money Motivation. What exactly does a black economic movement look like as we hear a cut from the famous Dr. Claude Anderson? And if you listen or listening to before the break, I want to talk about what I think we do best. We do nuance well. One thing that happens in dialogue these days is people, in a sense, want to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. So we hear, in a sense, in that cut, Dr. Claude Anderson allude to the dollar circulating. Again, that's just him having bad information. However, there's a lot of incredible things in that that he said. So we don't throw the ba- baby out with the bathwater. And quite often we have dialogues where if, if you got one thing wrong, we don't hear anything else you have to say. And so, again, I would dispute the dollar circulating information. That just means he had bad information. However, there's a lot of good things said. Uh, we'll start with you again as our special guest, Mark. Um, your thoughts, again, one of your uh, favorites. You've been reading Dr. Cloud Anderson since you were in college. I recall that. And so uh, any thoughts about him breaking down group economics? Again, this morning's discussion is about that to a degree. So your thoughts, King? He he's talking, you know, practical steps to build a base of power and influence and then given, you know, a step by step, call it method to be able to do that. And I think the biggest thing to absorb in that is accepting the fact that that it's real, that that is actually how in a capitalistic system things move. Um, and things are influenced in communities when you think about politics and you think about the media and all the constituents and collective parties, whether that's the police and other people that he mentioned. It made me think of Montoya. Um, we had the mastermind group, and you brought the brother on, and he was talking about political influence. And um, I remember he said that politicians and political groups and the way that you gain influence and the three things that they want are money, votes and ideas. And I think he said it, it was in that order. I might be mistaken mm-hmm. on that, but that's what yeah, I, that's no, what I right. remember. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Yeah, okay. So, that's right. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And it was very telling. And I, I really enjoyed listening to him because he, he's on the inside. You know, he, he, he knows. And mm-hmm. if money to gain the influence, that dies, ties directly to what Dr. Claude Anderson was just talking about. If you want to truly be in a position to influence those politicians, outside of the traditional dynamic of human behavior and ways to influence, if you don't have the money to be able to do that, and that is actually what is moving the dial, how can you possibly have any say about what goes on politically in your community if, you, if we don't have the money to, to pay by the politicians, contribute, so on and so forth? The same thing with the media. If we can't influence the media to control the stories and to tell the stories we want to tell and support the candidates we want to support and control the narratives that we want to uh, uh, control, then back to the information piece, then we're going to have information that, that is not um, in giving the perception in the vein that we want to build the things we want to build, but it all comes back to starting with the money and how you're able to take that money to then influence those mediums to do more. No, absolutely. And speaking of mediums, let me give a, a I call it an unshameless plug. You and Ashley both are Mental Dialogue members supporting this media platform that, in a sense, has taken the charge from a Dr. Claude Anderson, who I'm, whom I love as well. And I see myself, in a sense, as that fourth part of that building. Again, we have to start with the economics. And so I appreciate y'all support and highlight for anybody out there listening, also becoming supporters of this type of media. And so we media media so we can have these conversations that we need to have. Um, Ashley, your thoughts before I go to Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis. Yeah, you know, I, I think, like, in listening to that, it it just shows how big the issue is in terms of us controlling our money because, on the one hand, if we have traditionally been focusing on education and then politics and then going from there in terms of trying to unify the dollar, at some point, there has to be where we are focusing on both money and education, right? Like, the money has to be there. We have to be putting it up. We have to be putting it back into our community. But we also need that education, like that real-life education to let people know or put them on game, right? And and those two things have to be happening at the same time. And And I think, you know, it comes back to, like, how do we make that happen? How do we get over that divide? Because... If if we have money, if we have all of this disposable income and we have the ability to influence and make changes, um, how are we educating each other to make that happen? No, good questions. I, I would have a little something to say about how much disposable income. I think sometimes we, think we have more than we believe we have. And so, again, that's part of Definitely. this discussion of why it's necessary. Let's go to um, Brother hey, Piaki. Hey, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mark. I just want to make one, one quick comment before you go to the caller. Yes, no I, I think it's important to note. It also means that we have to accept something that is more sinister than we probably want to. Because, mm. we, you know, when you talk about politics and media and that type of thing, we can, we can believe generally that, okay, well, uh, you know, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to go vote or I'm going to listen to these things. And, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that's my own independent thinking that's driving that. And as a result of my vote and the things that happen, you know, it should be in due course of democracy play out like it's supposed to. When in reality, there's a lot more sinister, sinister things going on behind the scenes that are in some way influencing you and also controlling that media and that political direction that involve yeah. what Dr. Claude Addison was just talking about. It's meaning you'll see it on TV and say, oh, well, that's Hollywood. No, that, it, that actually is a resemblance of what happens, and, and we have to accept that. We have to accept 
that that is part of how this game is played and not judge it for right or wrong, but understand, either, look, either we're going to, when you're in Rome, do as Roman do and understand it, as long as you're not violating your own personal values. I'm not talking about value, uh, violating right, values. Right. No, but right, I'm talking no. about, you know, understanding that this is the game. It's just like capitalism. It's like profit. You know, the, the purpose of a business is to make a profit. It is to make money. And people always say, well, that shouldn't be your purpose. What do you mean? You're in a for-profit business. The purpose of the business is to make a profit and to make money. As long as the values around that are good, there's nothing wrong with that being first. And it's the same thing with this. It's just understanding that game, and there are things going on behind the scenes that we have to accept, and I think that's hard for black folks. Not yeah. as fair. And, and, and accepting them now, we, uh, that's understanding how the game is played and so that we can play correctly versus being pawns in the game, if you will. Right. So I definitely understand that right. perspective. All right, Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis, what you got for us, King? Well, I got several things. I'm not throwing anything at anyone. And what the gentleman just said about the uh, values, I had a, you know, I was a structure steel erector. I erected bridges, multi-story office building, industrial plants for Chrysler, Ford, and Anheuser-Busch. I had a competitor that would not do hotels, and he wouldn't do casinos. He's been here a construction company. Well, if he didn't do them, guess what? I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say another thing. Politics does play a major role. You're not going to see. I don't care who you vote for. I would buy your politician out from under you. Republican, Democrat, or whoever. Another point. <clears throat> that one video that you played when a man said that religion doesn't play anything as far as circulating a dollar. Well, that's just not true. And I emailed you a book uh, that talked about that. The name of the book is Tries. It's subtitle is How Race, Religion, and Identity Determine Success in a New Global Economy. There's Jews the religion, and then there's Jews the club. That's how it really is. And if you don't understand that, then, you know, you're going up against some strong obstacle. So, and another point, in my industry, education was very, very important. Why is that? Because we had to train our craftsmen that came out on the job site and done the job. We had mechanisms that we trained them ourselves. And then, too, look at China. China's workforce is highly degreed. They have a higher preponderance of engineering degrees, even in your mediocre work. Look at the engineers and the workers that done the Three Gorges Dam, which is one is the largest in the world. I mean, that's just how it is. If you're going to work across the ocean, you got to deal with the politics. And also, you have to have a political mechanism back here in the United States that's going to support you in these other countries. You can't now, do it out. Now, make sense, Brother Fiyaka. Let me say this real quick because I got some other callers. And so, and again, this is just the dialogue through the nuance. And so definitely thank you for your three cents. If I could just kind of say this to you, so understand that even in me hearing, for example, our guest Mark Rangers talking about the priorities. Priorities is not devoid of one or putting one necessarily um, against one another, if you will. The nuance is, in a sense, I think I hear him saying, 
prioritizing the economics to do the very example that you just gave, you will buy a politician offer offer under the one that I just simply voted for. So it's a game that all. Oh comes. yeah, that's just the way it works. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm just, I'm just throwing out that. And, and I got know, one more quick thing. No, I got I got to let you go, brother. I got several customers. All right, I'm trying to get back in. Yeah. Come back in. Come back in. Yeah, let me go. Come back on the next one. All right. And so. Yeah, man, I just want again, I'm just walking through the nuance and just being clear. Um, again, appreciate that, brother's three cents, but I definitely want people to hear that our dialogue is to see how it all weaves together. And again, what exactly does a black economic movement look like if we if we can agree that we've never had one? Prioritizing the finances in the way that I hear Mark saying becomes necessary, but it doesn't say education is not important or politicians politics is not important but we are dialoguing about it in a way to place in a sense finances in the proper priority is all i hear that um on mark saying and then the one last thing i just wanted to clarify for brother pf who's still listening was the brother didn't say religion didn't play a part he was just talking about the capture of can you follow a dollar based on someone's religion so i just want to get that clear clarified as well let's go to another call Actually, I'm up against the break before I can go to the collar. All right. So, again, our special guest, uh, Mark Ranger, along with my special guest co-host, Ashley Thompson. What does black economic, what does a black economic movement look like? Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. Are you trying to figure out your next income stream? Maybe get into cryptocurrency, real estate, or maybe even start your own business. If so, contact the KG Hire Company to receive a professional consultation or strategy session to provide you the advice you need to get a jump start on your new venture. If it's a new business, there's nothing like having a business consultant review your finances, strategy, or marketing. If it's real estate, the KG Hire Company specializes in evaluating deals for profitability and securing special financing for creative real estate acquisitions. If it's cryptocurrency, then look no further than the KG Hire Company to master the components of blockchain technology and investing into cryptocurrency serving atlanta since 2016 the kg hire company is an industry leader in customer experience and getting your money's worth contact them at kghire.com or 833-544-9288 again that's 833-544-9288 Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. Our special guest is Mark Ranger, CEO of Money Motivation. This morning's discussion question, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? If you're out there on the li- online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 646- Seven eight seven one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know you want to speak. So for the callers out there, if you haven't pressed one and you're trying to get in on this morning's discussions and give us your three cents, you do need to press one. Area code five zero four. 
Last three, zero six five. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Uh, God bless you. My name is Eric from uh, New Orleans. Um, hey, how you doing, Derek? Derek or Eric? Let me make sure I heard it right. Yeah, yeah, Eric. Uh-huh. Yeah, Eric. Okay, yep, yep, yeah. You've been you've been calling before. Thanks a lot, Eric. What you got oh, for yeah. this morning? Uh, good. Yeah, a couple of things in terms of what it looks like to motivate the black consumer. That's I want to start with that first. I know we have. Are you all familiar with the, the cash mob concept where you organize groups of individuals mm-hmm. to stick with business? Okay, great, great. I know we did that for a, um, Howard University. We did that for Alumni Association. We did that for a, a black-owned grocery store here in New Orleans, and it increased their business by 40% that particular day. Um, so it seems like for some, for the black consumer, you have to intentionally motivate some of our black consumers to uh, participate in supporting black businesses. Another event that I was involved in, uh, the Nation of Islam, they had a, um, a, a an event in which a lot of black consumers were going to um, Asian-owned chicken uh, restaurants to buy their chickens. Well, um, they had some nefarious practices at Asian-owned restaurant, and so we had our picket signs outside of the uh, Asian-owned restaurants and motivated black consumers to turn around and go to a locally-owned, black-owned chicken restaurant. Uh, and they did that for one day. And ironically, it came out that the black-owned, chicken-owned restaurant experienced a 40% increase of business also. Two different events, and ironically, it came with 40% increase of business for two particular events. So it seems like we have to really motivate some of the black community to want to support black businesses. Some of them didn't didn't know exactly, you know, um, that there was a black-owned chicken restaurant or chicken store. They didn't know that the Asian restaurant didn't have the best business practices. But uh, a lot of times I think we really have to put a concerted effort to get the black community involved in supporting black businesses. That's why I'm not going to come down hard on people using that particular stat that uh, the black dollar stays in the black community maybe six hours because, uh, you know, New Orleans is, 63% black, but now we don't have any black-owned grocery stores with a 63% population. We don't have any black car dealerships, again, 63% uh, population, no black appliance um, um, dealerships. So any major thing that you may really need in New Orleans, a lot of times it's not going to be owned by a black business person. So I don't really come down on people using that Dallas days in black community six hours. Cause I can see that that could actually be true. Because uh, everybody else is doing quite well, but a lot of our money just goes right in, out of the black community with the blink of an eye, you know. So let me let me throw this out. So the, the dollar doesn't go out of the community in the blink of an eye. Just throwing it out again, just talking about the myth and how right. we play it out. So I still love being part of Cash Mobs. We have a, a group here, um, in a sense, that adopted that name, Cash Mob ATL. So I'm always big on kind of the examples that you're giving, the opportunity to support a new business owner opening. I've done them online. So I'm saying, I'm just throwing this out, Eric. I'm throwing this out to say, while I understand that, I will say the consumer focus is the real reason why you're not having the industries that you're looking for or whatever. So Mm -hmm. even the cash mob concept to a degree is limited in scope, just just to to throw out some understanding on it or whatever. And so it's not – okay to float out myths that don't apply because now when we, when we don't apply the myth, then we can get focused on the wholesale and the actual um, 
um, ownership or the distributor aspect of it, if that makes sense. Just wanted to throw out that thought. I wanted to hear Mark and Ashley's thoughts on what Eric had to say. Um, go ahead, um, Mark. Again, you're our special guest, so we'll start with you. Go ahead. Um, I wasn't familiar with the cash mob uh, concept. Uh, I heard what he described, and, and, and I understand it. Um, I think that uh, uh, those those are good. I absolutely, you know, because it, it creates an energy and, and, and a marketing strategy and an ability, it sounds like, to assemble people at a local business to make purchases and support that business. Um, as part of an economic movement to create change, then I look at, what can be sustainable after something like that to continue to drive the economy exactly. and, 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 and what that business and what that event was supposed to represent. So, you know, in talking about an economic movement, it's about sustainable, you know, mm-hmm. strategies that we can use and, and duplicate over and over and over again, because that tends right. to be part of the issue, just like all the way up to generational wealth. A one-time event doesn't mean shit. You know, we got to be able to expand and move things that are sustainable um, over time uh, as it pertains to that. So, you know, I'm curious Mm -hmm. how, and again, I don't know the full legacy or or how people use a cash mob and what it is. I'm I'm not intelligent enough to speak on it, but my initial reaction to it would be, I hope that, you know, something can be capitalized on events like that, you know, to be able to be sustained. No, it makes sense. Let me throw this out real quick um, and Ashley, give us your thoughts. And so I also wanted to highlight this as well, Eric. It's not so much that it takes that for us to support our own or whatever. When you say some of the people say they didn't know, I've been a part of a lot of cash mobs. I still take part in them. And the reality is quite mm-hmm. often, and this, even in Atlanta, a lot of people just don't know the business is there. And so outside mm-hmm. of, you know, like a place where there's a lot of African-Americans like a New Orleans or Atlanta, right. if you will, um, uh, the, the idea of cash mob is necessary really from a marketing standpoint. So that's not that we don't support all. You can't support what you don't know about, if you will. So so I've seen that be a big portion of the people that are part of those. Like, oh, I didn't know this was black owned. So I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Not just some. Again, I'm not buying into that there's inherently a psychology with how we don't support our own. Um, go ahead, um, Ashley, your thoughts. I'm going to go to another caller. Thanks a lot for your call today, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, I'm- I think it does come back to, like, how can we keep this going, right? And it is very true. Like, people just don't know what businesses are what. You have businesses that are opening and closing every single day. And I think the the conversation from that point then goes to, like, how can we be documenting these businesses? How can we be organizing this information, right? Because there's so many websites. There are people that have created manifestos, that have created – um, books to just, like, try to organize that information, and it, it's so split up all over the place, right? Like, how can we go ahead and get this information in one place, and, and what can we do that is realistic and sustainable? Because oftentimes when you're talking about, you know, the example that Eric provided in terms of, like, um, having signs out in front of that one business, how many people can realistically continue to do that day after day um, to drive business to a black business, right? And so what, what what happens after that? And I love the idea of a cash mob of, like, really just getting a whole bunch of people together, getting that money together, and really driving it into a business. How are we going to organize that information and share it so that we know where to go? And And I know this isn't really related to this point, but I just feel like we are very unforgiving. Um, in our community when it comes to our black business owners where 
we've kind of slammed down on them, um, you know, for things like customer service and all these things. But, like, you put up with foolishness at Walmart. You put up with foolishness at, like, the nail salon, the hair salon, all these places. Um, and, and, like, sometimes we genuinely do not know. We don't know business. We don't know how to interact with clients. And we're not willing to give that knowledge and education or that grace to each other, like, yo, this is what you did. Let me just offer some helpful feedback. Like, this is probably what you should consider, or have you thought about this? Or let me get you in contact with someone that can help you with that. Um, but we are just so critical and tough on our own. Um, you know, I find it hard for people to continue doing this because that one mistake, that one time that you messed up, mm-hmm. um, and people will continuously support Walmart or these other corporations, and they're dealing with the same thing, right? Like, you go into Walmart, it's a joke. Like, when are no, you absolutely. going to be in the social? No, absolutely. I always like to say, tell people in reference to that same point that you're making is you've had cold fries from McDonald's. But, yet mm-hmm. you're probably taking your McDonald's eventually in the future, despite the fact that they gave you cold fries. The black-owned business owner quite often only gets to give you cold fries once, if that makes sense. And so I definitely respect right. that. And I do think... Again, mental dialogue, getting into psychology. So as we listen to someone like Omar give us these ideas of how do you create sustainable things, part of it to me is removing these psychological myths so that we're not too hard on each other in order to, if we're going to build an economic movement, if you will, right, uh, and, and, and be sustainable. I, I have a, a, one of the brothers is a part of the mastermind, Dwayne Drawn. Um, what he, I've had him on shows talking about this type of stuff, and at the end of the day, here's a concept that's going to sound simple, uh, but even with the stuff that we're pushing and talking about as far as business goes, he just says that my mindset is just to do business. Mm-hmm. And that sounds so simple, but it is so necessary to a degree when you start talking about sustainable in terms that Mark is using to be sustainable. And so, again, I will take part in a cash mob any given day. But at the end of the day, it's a marketing tool. You still have to do business. And so that goes to both sides of it. As you said, Ashley, the consumer, in a sense, can't be too hard on the black business owner. And to a degree, some business owners say, hey, the community doesn't support me. And sometimes that lack of support comes from not, in a sense, just simply doing business. So there's this kind of a two-edged sword, but again, I think it's all part of having these kind of conversations and dialogue in order to create this economic movement. Let me see if I can sneak a caller in before we go to the top of the hour. Area code 914, last 3039. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's question. You may have a show in the background. Sounds like you have a show. You got to turn the show down in the background. No, no, I don't have a name. Um, um, okay, something was in the background. Go ahead. I'm Andre Hatchett calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, what's up, King? I might keep you on past the top of the hour. I know you got three cents for us this morning. Thanks for calling in, King. <laughs> what's up, everybody? Uh, I got a couple of things. I got a couple of things. So, so here goes a real-life example. And I always question, not always, but uh, past, definitely about five, six years, I questioned that whole six-hour uh, myth or fact thing about the dollar leaving the black community. Mm-hmm. So, so here goes a real life uh, practical example of what we did, Montoya. You held an event, sure I couldn't make it. Um, you, you held an event, you were looking for sponsors. So I sponsored your event. I don't know if you want to say mm-hmm. if you want to say the number, but but sponsored. Yeah, we're transparent. We're gonna get people to the to the to the stuff to the to the finish line. So say whatever you want to say. I, we know we open like that. I don't care. Talk about it, King. Okay, cool. Uh, it was a hundred dollars, right? So 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 
So, mm-hmm. so, so you have an event. I sponsored $100. My $100 that I got probably came from a black person, most likely. Most of my money, probably 85% of my money comes from black people, right? And I make decent money. Yeah, that $100 went to you. You had an event at Rick Mathis' studio. Rick Mathis is black. Yes. Right? Rick Mathis yes. supports a lot of black-owned businesses. We can't guarantee where the money went, but maybe we can ask him. So there are a lot of people doing things like that, and I really – I don't know if there's a way to do it or how to do it, how long it will take about the tracking and, the, and how long the dollar spends. But just that simple transaction, that, that simple line that we did, yes. that simple tra- – it, yes. we, we kept the money there. We kept, we yeah, kept the money there. Four. That so. was at least, at least four. That was at least four. You gave me $100 that probably came from a black business that goes to Rick Mathis, you know, at the studio who supports a whole bunch of other businesses. And get granted, we were teaching, one of the sections we were teaching, just to throw this out, how it, it becomes exponential, is we had Jason Warner who was teaching how to make money in your sleep. So so we have people come to an event where they learn how to make money in their sleep. Black people learn that from your $100 contribution to the in sponsoring my event. So like you said, right there, just between the two of us, we've circulated the dollar four or five times just from that. And then not to even talk about what people learn and take and make their money from what they learn from Jason. So thank you for that a brilliant example. We are at the top of the hour. So thanks a lot for calling in with that example, King. Well, we got that. Have a great show. All right. Thanks a lot, King. Appreciate that. That was a brilliant example. And we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Remember that VB around me. Tweaky that BF around me. My mind elevated and don't kill my vibration. I'm not in the same place you found me. Look at my dripper. I'm drowning. They say I'm it, how I'm clowning. I'm penny wide when I'm counting. Interest gonna keep on compounding. Please on the beat, they compounding. If I did the beat, they be bouncing. I'm telling you twice, come holler at me now, cause I'm not gonna be cheap when you find me. I got on my knees and I tightened my belt. I needed the game and I got it myself. I hollered my partners, I got me some help. We split up the profits and bet on ourselves. You ain't one of us. Their whole psyche is based on something that's just incorrect by every sense of the financial data. So, moving moving along, which which what you find is that. The next, so if you were to look at America across, take all the families across 100 percentiles, so like, you know, the 50th percentile is the key because the bottom 50, from the 50th percentile family to the 90th percentile family, that section, that section of American families has about 25 percent of the wealth, percent of the wealth, but we're really not part of that group either, African Americans. We're a very small part, small section. We're maybe about... 2% of that of that 25%. Our whole race, our, almost our whole race is in the bottom 50th percent and not even at the top level of that bottom 50th percent. You know, I've shown you that the middle black family is worth $1,700, and I don't think that you really grasp what that means in terms of, like, how crazy we are in terms of the dreams we have versus the wealth level we have. I don't think that you're really digesting how – this, what this means for black families that are under, say, the age of 40, 45. Because basically the small group that is in the in the 50th to 90th percentile are mostly all boomers. This isn't like young blacks. Young blacks have been cut out of the American dream. And so, like, when, when, I, when I start to say this, I'm going to lay it out in data. I'm pulling up a chart that shows you 
to get in the top 50% of America, the ticket in is in is about 85 to $100,000 in worth. In worth. Not earnings, not income, worth. The middle black family is worth $1,700 though. There's only so so if you look at this thing in terms of like numerics, there's 14 million black homes. That's it. There's 40 million blacks, we live in 14 million homes. There's about 180 million whites, and they live in 80 million homes. 8 million of their 80 own almost everything, like 75% of the pie. So for us, of the 14 million black homes, only 2 million are above the 50% like mark line. That's it. That is all. Just 2 million black homes are above the 50% mark line. Almost our whole race is in the bottom half of America. The part that only owns 1% of the wealth in this country. The black race is largely made up of black people that don't have any money. Now, what, what's the trip is that black people have not really digested that and adjusted their habits, their demands, or anything because they really believe that they have the means that white people have. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Special guest co-host, Ashley Thomas. Our special guest is Mark Ranger. For this morning's discussion question, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? As we hear a clip from Tone Talks, uh, one of my favorites is breaking down the actual numbers. It speaks to what you spoke to earlier, Mark. We'll start with you when you said, you know, outside of these consumer numbers and the dollar circulating, and again, a great example by Andre who just called in, you said, however, the bigger issue is this gap. And Tone talks gives us the real numbers when he says seventeen hundred dollars worth. He's not including the car because that's an, you know in a sense a depreciating asset. So when you take the car out, some people may, you know may have heard about you know we're worth fourteen thousand and seventeen thousand things of that nature. But that's usually when you include the car. But if you take out that depreciating asset, the average family has about seventeen hundred dollars in worth. And so those are some real numbers. That, in my opinion, when we have these type of dialogues versus the the, the the numbers that are mythical and how we see one another, when we look at it for real, I think we have to listen to, in my opinion, people like you who are who who want to drive a practical and sustainable methodology that can apply to the collective. And it, I think, it looks very different than a lot of things that are being pushed and marketed out there in our community. That's my personal opinion. Again, you're in the finance world. I'm never really surprised that you're not familiar with, for example, the myths and things of that nature because you do this for a living. You don't have time wasting your, you know, wasting time on the, the, the stuff that's, that doesn't matter to, to the bottom line, if you will, King. But um, your thoughts on just hearing those real numbers, and I think it is very necessary that we understand the landscape. So that's why I wanted to share that as far as and to drive this conversation by understanding the complete landscape, whereas some people might hear it as say, that's putting us down or that's playing down or I don't care about those numbers, where the numbers are where we have to start from, in my opinion, if we're going to actually get serious about making an economic movement. Your thoughts, King? Uh, no, it's true, that because that is that is the game that we're fighting. I mean, that is that is the battleground. Um, I did a a, um, a talk back in April of this year talking about the racial wealth gap 
the history of it, but then also, you know, where it stands today, similar to uh, what the clip was referencing. And that is the real game. And, you know, the stats that he was giving are telling the larger message around the wealth gap that does exist. And here's what I found to be even more striking to supplement what he said when he talked about the, the worth, and I don't know if that was the median or the average net worth of black people that he, that he was referencing, um, but one is significantly less than the, the median white household. But here's what's even more striking is that over a 20-year period, and I don't know what, what year or point in time he was referencing that number, but there was a 20-year period from 1983 to 2013 where not only were our median net worth significantly less than whites, but it actually declined 75%. It declined. So mm. we're not even headed in the right direction, let alone having worth that would hit that 50% mark. And that's the challenge. So why is that? Why in the time in which we've had what many would consider an opportunity to come out of a social, political, uh, civil revolution uh, in, a, in a manner that we've never been before. In an information age, why would we be declining? What, you know, why would that occur? Which speaks even more to this, this, this importance of an economic movement and an importance of understanding the real game and what the real key to wealth is. Because the other thing that that speaks to, what he was talking about, what is the real key to wealth? So I do this, I'm going to tell you, I, do, I don't know if I'll tell you, but I do this call and response with my daughter and my stepson. And, and so I'll take them to school and I'll do, you know, I'll say, you know, uh, what, is, uh, what is the first love or where is God? Or, you know, are you a leader or a follower? Um, what is integrity? And one of the questions I ask is what is the key to wealth? The key to wealth is ownership. That's what that's pointing to. It's ownership. That is the key to building wealth. And building that wealth and changing this narrative and this median, you know, these stats and, and the reduction in that is all about how we can change the game around understanding ownership and the ways to build that wealth and ownership primarily are going to be through the stock market, through real estate, and through business ownership. And the point to that is, is to develop multiple streams of income, but the long game is the equity and the ownership, which ultimately leads to us changing that wealth gap and that median, you know, average household wealth that he talked about, instead of it declining, us focusing on the key to wealth, which is true ownership. And to me, that's the foundation of the economic movement, is understanding that's the key to wealth and then changing our behaviors and our narrative and our shared purpose and our, our, our movement of change to be all about ownership. No, I love it. Um, Ashley, your thoughts, and we're going to go to a caller after that. Ashley, did we lose you? I'm here, sorry. Uh, so listening to those numbers and, and listening to Mark talk about how there was this decline in our wealth, like I, I automatically think of how education impacted that. And there was a video um, that I saw this week where um, someone was talking about, you know, like what happened to the value of having a bachelor's degree and how that declined um, where, you know, probably at the time my mom was growing up or, you know, when she was, my grandmother was raising my mom, it was like, get a degree so that you can get in and get a good job, right? Like that's what a bachelor's degree ensured was going to happen. Um, and then as we, as black folks started to get that education, it really changed the value of what a bachelor's degree stood for. Now it's like the equivalent of having a high school diploma. And so then, you know, we have our, our people going into 
um, higher education to obtain those degrees and, and getting into debt. And oftentimes we focus on high income careers and not necessarily, as Mark pointed out, like what does that have to do with wealth? That, that has nothing to do with wealth. And so how can we get away from like being attached to um, what income is being derived and really focusing on careers that are going to change things, right? When you talk about people getting into financial services, I can't tell you how many times I've had elderly black people break down and wish that they had had conversations with someone like me when I was younger or the number of people that just have honest conversations because they're comfortable seeing another person that looks like them in the room that's a professional that they know that they can trust. And so, like, we really have to be focusing on getting into fields that are going to give us the knowledge and education. And, and like, the first thing I think of is life insurance, right? That is a very real and tangible way to build wealth um, within our community. And a lot of people don't even consider life insurance, right? Like, you have the ability to put hundreds of thousands of dollars in somebody's hands um, should, you know, in the event that you pass away, right, because that's going to happen, um, and, and setting them in a position where now they can build wealth and clear debt and change things generationally for their families, and, like, we don't take advantage of life insurance. And so, like, what, what careers are we getting into to really generate the knowledge that will put us on game and change everything within our community instead of focusing on those high-income careers? Yes, they're beneficial, but oftentimes I think that really drives consumerism more than it, it focuses on building wealth. Or hey, how about can, I, can I? Oh, yeah, please go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, please. Okay, I don't want you to lose your thoughts. I'm good. But, uh, I, I just want to supplement on what Ashley said because I think it was, I, I mean, I love what she said. It's so important. Um, you know, she mentioned about high-income careers and how that can be a focus and what that what that what that message is all about is you know we have this belief that wealth is um, is achieved. Wealth is not achieved. Wealth is created. Mm-hmm. It's created. And when you focus on high income careers or all of these things, yes, that you need that you know because you're tackling all that. But it's it's still a philosophy that no, you don't achieve wealth. You don't get there one day. That's not how it works. But you create it is the way you do it. It created by understanding the, the, the foundations and the building blocks of wealth. And then she also mentioned insurance, which I know is not talked about a lot. It's taboo. And people have this whole, I don't believe in insurance like it's a religion or something. It's not a religion. <laughs> it's, it's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah. I, when, when, I, when I started my financial practice, I remember uh, an Matter advisor. Let me go to the break yeah. so we can take care of that and then come back with that thought coming out of the break and we'll get to That's the callers as well. Yep, no problem. If you're online listening, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, 646-787-1691. You have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Um, 647-LAST-3050 will be coming to you um, out of, out of, after March coming out of the break. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. 
We are the return of Intelligent Radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses make zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. If you have a product or service you would like to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, please contact me directly via our Facebook page at Mental Dialogue or IG at Mental underscore Dialogue. Just DM me or call me at 404-604-9477. This morning's discussion question, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? We are actually fortunate enough to have on the founder and CEO of the Money Motivation brand. So if you will, uh, Mark, before you finish your thought, a uh, quick plug about uh, you being a longtime supporter of, of the Mental Dialogue talk show. So not to throw you completely off a of hope, uh, but yeah, go, go, give a plug for where people can get some of this amazing gear because I'm always rocking the Money Motivation stuff everywhere I go. No doubt. Uh, MoneyMotivation.com is the website. Uh, again, the Money Motivation brand is an apparel and media brand. Uh, the mission is to inspire a life of power and freedom, and that's all about uh, the, the power to dictate your circumstances and the freedom to control your own life. Uh, we got the, the, the flyest apparel and clothing in terms of streetwear that you're going to find and uh, the movement around the entire brand is, is, is tremendous. So I encourage everybody to take a minute, check us out, and, and, and support. But uh, moneymotivation.com is the website, and uh, moneymotivation.co.co is our Instagram account, which most people also frequent as well. And then we also have a media aspect. we got some exciting things we're going to be rolling out uh, the second half of this year on the media side, really tied to this discussion uh, quite frankly, to begin to drive the whole concept of building wealth and, and doing more. So we're looking forward to it. No, absolutely. Um, thanks a lot for, again for being a longtime supporter. But if you will, um, you were going into an example prior to the break in reference to uh, some of what Ashley said and just highlighting, I think it was the life insurance. If you will, I can kind of jog your memory on that thought um, coming going into the break. It was a, it's a, it was a quick story. It was just, just to point to an example of different ways of thinking differently. When I started my financial career, and I, I started a financial practice from scratch. And um, I, I obviously built relationships with several people in the industry. And so at one point in time, uh, Bill Gates purchased a billion-dollar insurance policy, a billion-dollar insurance, life insurance I'm talking about. Now, Bill Gates is a billionaire already. 
people say, well, he's self-insured. Why does he need a billion-dollar life insurance policy? Because he understood and understands the concept of leverage. For pennies on the dollar, he can have, in addition to his wealth, whatever he decides to do with it, his family, charities, all the things he wants to do. But for pennies on the dollar, he can leverage and take pennies on the dollar and guarantee to get a billion because everybody is going to die. It is guaranteed you're going to die. And for pennies on the dollar, this billion dollars is going to be passed in addition to what he's already built. Why can't we understand and adopt that same thing? It creates wealth where there was no wealth. And to leverage yeah. something like that tied to building wealth is an important piece that can't be missed. So I just didn't want – I wanted Ashley, you know, in her comment, I just wanted to double up on that because I know, you know, that's something that many times mm-hmm. is lost in the shuffle when we're talking about building wealth. But I do think it was an important comment. No, absolutely. I'm glad we uh, got to it. Let's get to our caller here. Area code 647-LAST-3050. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, good morning. Uh, This is Patrick. How are you? Um, Just calling to say that um, as far as the wealth gap is concerned, I don't really focus on the gap because my goal is not someone else's um, achievement, right? So we talk about black and white. I think for black people, we have to figure out where individually and as a group, really, where is it that we want to be? Um. My two nieces are, are you know, they got out of school maybe about five years ago, one, three, one, six, seven years ago. And when we were setting up stuff for them, we never thought about what do other people have. We want them to make, I mean, if the median income for the for the careers that they wanted to go into was a hundred thousand, let's say, um, that that who who cares? I don't care. We want them to be at 200000 by the time they're 35. Like, we don't really care what, uh, what, you know, so you have to figure out for yourself where you want to be and not necessarily compare it because when you compare it, you limit yourself. You limit yourself to what someone else has as a comparison thing. Figure out what you want and where you want to be, which may be way above the median anything, and then that's what you go for. Um, as far as businesses are concerned, Black businesses are concerned. Um, I think one of the things that we need to do, you said, what does the movement look like? You know, first thing we have to understand is that we have to get these businesses to a point of competing. Um, Just saying I'm a black business and support me just because I'm a black business, that's unsustainable. You can't sustain on that. You have to be – the reason why people go to Walmart, even though they have – they have – to me, one of the worst shopping experiences, the reason why people go there is because they expect certain products at certain prices, and Walmart has been there consistently and competed at that level for a while. McDonald's has been there competing, competing. So when people go there and they get cold fries, they say, okay, but they, I've been going here so long, chances are the next time I come here, I'll get warm fries, Right. And I think we have to build these, identify the businesses that are ready to compete in a way that if, if, if you didn't know it was a black business, you would still go there. And then when you learn it's a black business, like, oh, that's like the cherry on top. But they're built to compete. They're built to, they're, the marketing is built to compete. The advertising is built to compete. We have to build these businesses, find the businesses that are ready to compete, fund them, you know, it could be through crowdfunding. That They have equity crowdfunding now. And and support them and help them build up. But you have to be ready to compete 
in the marketplace. And I think that's what it looks like. Not just, hey, I'm a black business, you know, support me just because I'm a black business. No, get out here and let's build them to compete with everybody. And then the fact that you're a black business is just the cherry on top. So just wanted to get comments. All right. All right, Patrick. So, um, you know, we challenge people, and that's what we do here. We like to do real dialogue. And so I'm going to challenge really both of the, both of what both of the things that you said. And so I'm going to challenge you from this perspective. Um, have you, how long have you been listening to the show today, this morning? Just want to check before I go somewhere. Maybe you hadn't heard what we were talking about. How long have you been able to listen I don't think this I morning? Have heard. Uh, only at the top of the hour, probably. Okay. On top, top of the hour. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So what I will say, just to throw out, um, at no point, just to, to add this clarity for anybody else that may have received it the way that you did, and this is cool, and I'm glad you brought this to the, to the table. So at no point have myself, Ashley, or, or Mark, if you will, been caught up in comparison what any whatsoever. Don't confuse the providing the stats of the dialogue to speak to the reality of our collective gap as trying to compare to another group. It's the recognizing the reality of where we're at to to decide what does our economic move like. Because without going in or calling out any other people, there are plenty of people who are pushing things that are not sustainable because they've overplayed what we actually have as a collective, if that makes sense. Absolutely so very supportive of how you're, in a sense, dealing with your nieces, because absolutely, why would you shoot for the median? And, and, and part of the economic movement will be, I would say, people to a degree with more mindsets like what you just spoke about. But just wanted to highlight, we haven't made any comparisons. And then the last thing no, I was no, going to say. I, I, wasn't, I, I didn't want to say that you guys. No, did. no, no, no. no. I, we, we, let, me, let me get this out. Okay. No, no, I know, I know. I'm just dialoguing, though. It's not to, this is not directly at you. It's other people could be, could be hearing it certain ways. So we're just doing the dialogue. And so I'm going to let my, you know, my guests get in as well. So I'm not necessarily directing this at you. And then the, last, and the second thing I'll just highlight in reference to um, the, the concept, which you would have heard right before you started listening, was the idea of us just doing business. So that is absolutely, you're absolutely correct, that we just need to get in business and compete. And there are plenty of our businesses that are, despite what we psychologically may think. So, again, I do think that it is a part of us getting over this idea that a lot of our businesses are not competing because competing the reality is there are good and bad businesses of all races. But like Ashley said prior to the hour, that sometimes we have a tendency to overplay how bad our businesses are. There are plenty of our businesses that are competing. And I'm not saying – listen, listen, brother, brother, work with me. Work with me, brother. I'm not going directly at you, so don't take it personal. So I'm not saying you said all of these things. I'm just highlighting some things. Um, if you will, Ashley, your thoughts, again, just kind of summing up some of what he said and me just kind of adding some context to it. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I, when I heard the comment, you know, like I, I think when we're talking about wealth, it's, it's not about a comparison, right? Like there's knowledge to be shared out there. And we're not sharing it. And if there is a way, right, when I have conversations with my clients, I always talk about beneficiaries. I always talk about life insurance. Even even something as simple as um, having the proper amount of coverage for your apartment or your home, right? People often get policies that have the number, like my apartment complex, like, oh, you need a $20,000 policy. Most people will say, I just need $20,000. I have actually gone through and totaled up the things in my home and adjusted what my policy 
covered because I know how much stuff in my home is worth. How many people are doing that? And so it's not about, oh, I need to compare myself to this person or that person, but, like, is there something that you can teach me that I'm not doing right now that will put me in a better position, allow me to do things differently, or allow me to generate wealth? Right, like even that conversation about life insurance, it honestly blows my mind the amount of people that are not willing to have a conversation about death or power of attorney or um, a medical health care directive, right? Like we, we're all going to pass away. And if life insurance is something that you can start relatively early, then we need to be having those conversations. We need to be making sure that you're getting a policy that's going to actually cover the expenses that you have. Like, it's not good enough to just have a policy at your job that covers one time your, your salary or two times your salary. If you have children and they're young and your support could make the difference between them actually being able to participate, being, participate in things and, like, have the same quality of life versus your family having to, like, bear down and, you know, take things away because they were not prepared. Right, so it, it's not about the comparison. It's about how are we sharing this information to improve the wealth within our community? Because then, what happens when somebody has proper life insurance, or they have wealth, or they have investments? When you get knocked down, when things happen in life, or someone passes away, you're able to continue on, and we're not having to go back, and we're not losing wealth, or we're not losing income within our community because we were not prepared. Right, there has to happen, and like. As, as Mark highlighted before, it, it, wealth is not something that just happens. You have to create it. And I have seen people in nine-to-five jobs turn into millionaires just simply by being dedicated and committed and consistent to investing in the market or trying different things or trying to find other businesses. So it's not about the comparison, but what knowledge, what education can you share with me so that we are able to progress as a community? No, love it. We're up against the break. Uh, Patrick, we'll probably bring you back on after the break as well. Uh, We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Remember that VV around me. Tweaky that BF around me. My mind elevating, don't kill my vibration. I'm not in the same place you found me. Look at my drip. I'm drowning. They say I'm it, how I'm clowning. I'm penny wide when I'm counting. Interest gon' keep on compounding. Please on the beat, they compounding. If I did the beat, they be bouncing. I'm telling you twice, come holler at me now, cause I'm not gon' be cheap when you find me. I got on my knees and I tightened my belt. I needed the game and I got it myself. I hollered my partners, I got me some help. We split up the profits and bet on ourselves. You ain't one of us. You ain't one of us. You ain't one of us. A specific example of when you effectively leverage credit to conduct business, and why did you choose credit versus cash, if you will, in that instance? Because a lot of those, a lot of businesses are cash strapping it, if you will. So, if you could just give us a specific example where you've been able to take advantage of credit properly in in a business format, if you will. Yeah, this is an interesting question, and I, you know, you alluded to. I don't know how much this is ever really discussed. Um, when we're talking about business and, and, and entrepreneurship in general, because it probably is not deemed as sexy as a topic, but I think it's 
pretty sexy, my damn self. I mean, it's something that you need to understand to your point to be able to do things. So let me think about an example or give an example, I should say, that um, that can illustrate it. So Money Motivation Brand, the company, it, it will go into its fourth year, the middle of this month, actually. And it started in 2017. At the end of the second year of the company, we were doing about 10 to 13 grand per month in sales. And we got stuck there for about four or five months. We were stuck at that around that uh, margin of sales. So the first thing I had to do, I said, all right, let me figure out why or what in terms of the primary levers needed to drive more sales because we just had benchmarks of keeping to double the sales, so we wanted to get to 25K per month as the next target. So I had to figure out what the levers were to get to that monthly sales mark. And what I determined is that with three levers, it was website visits. We needed more visits to the website. Second, it was conversion rate. How many came, how many converted to sales? And then third was the average order value or number of items and revenue per order that did occur when somebody made a purchase. So to drive those, we needed to make an investment. And that investment needed to be in marketing to drive more website traffic. And it needed to be in inventory because we had to make sure we had the inventory on hand uh, for the inventory needed to fulfill that, that volume of sales that they came in because it would be an increased volume. So in doing the math based on historical sales and investment in those areas, I determined that if we looked over a three-month period, we needed about a 30K investment, and that 30K investment would generate 75K in sales, about 25K a month. So if we just looked at that 30K investment that was needed, three options to do it. I could self-fund it which up to that point I had done entirely. I had self-funded the entire launch of the company and the operations of the company up to that point. Second option was to give out equity to somebody who wanted to invest in the business. I had several people who had asked me about it in starting the business and when it was going in the first two years. Uh, and the third option was to do some debt financing or business financing. So my thought process was this. I didn't want to give out a small piece of equity. I don't like the idea of giving up a piece of ownership or control to somebody else, even if it's a small piece necessarily, when I don't have to. Because um, I could have self-funded it, so that wasn't really an option. Um, Self-funding it was on the table, but I preferred to stay liquid. So we had a proven track record of sales. I could predict that we were getting, you know, based on the what we were currently getting, that if we invested thirty grand we could generate about 75K, so the better option was to debt finance it and stay liquid with my own capital. So I went and did two things. Got a line of credit that could be accessed monthly for working capital, and then the second thing I did was go to one of my banks that I had a relationship with, got a short-term business loan for a little over 30K. Invested that money in the marketing and inventory, and within three months, we hit 25K per month in sales and climbing, and we haven't looked back since. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest Ashley Thomas. Our special guest is Mark Ranger, who you just heard on that cut from one of our Money Motivation podcasts that we did, I think, over a year ago now. Um, this morning's discussion question, what exactly does the black economic movement look like? And, I, Mark, I will bring that to the table. Obviously, it's just you listening to yourself, if you will. But I thought I would bring it to the table because – uh, there's an aspect, if you will, when we start talking about ownership, which is something that you constantly speak to, um, highlighted in that clip as well, and what you were just talking about with the money motivation brand and how well you've been able to, in a sense, 
take take that company up. And again, speaking of ownership, if you will, a lot of times we even learn, in my opinion, even myths where, as I talked about in the beginning of that clip, a lot of our businesses are cash strapping it because of maybe a lack of information and knowledge on how to leverage. And so you've been using that word throughout this morning's discussion and we've got about a you know half hour to talk talking about what does an economic movement look like. I think even understanding the concept of leveraging credit, if you will, uh, is something that actually really, really matters. Uh, at the Mental Dialogue Live experience, one of our sections, if I could highlight this very quickly, um, was why families should have Monopoly as a once-a-month family game night. And so a lot of people who had never followed all of the rules of Monopoly were really, really surprised by the actual rules versus coming up with house rules, and what, and that's why the game never ends, if you will. But a, a perfect example related to what you just talked about with leveraging credit in that cut was I was explaining to people, for example, uh, when do people typically mortgage their property in Monopoly for those that are, that are familiar with the game? People usually typically wait to mortgage their property once they've been in trouble, once they're in trouble. So let's, if all of us are playing and say, Ashley, I actually owe more cash to you than I have, that's when I would look to mortgage. And at no other time would I consider mortgaging my properties uh, in Monopoly, if you will. What I explain to people as a strategy is as soon as you get one Monopoly, mortgage all the other properties. Mortgaging meaning you're going to get that loan from the bank, and now you can buy houses to build up your monopoly because you're only collecting a little minimum rent on that mortgage with no home on it. Use that cash flow to actually build up your monopoly, and now you can charge people way more when they land on your property, and people were blown away by just that concept of leveraging the mortgage at an opportune time when it's to my advantage versus me being owing Ash owing money owing Ashley more money than I have on hand. And so that concept blew people's mind and I said to them, imagine teaching your children this at a young age and as adults, they're not hearing it for the first time as I did as a grown as man, if you will. So a lot I know I said a lot in there, but um Mark, if you will, please jump in, King. Uh, yeah, this is, I like this. Um, so I'll go back. I said ownership is, is the key. That's the foundation. Second, I mentioned earlier, the three key ways to gain that ownership is the stock market, real estate, and business ownership. The third piece that we can point to here, and I'm just saying three, meaning this is the, the flow of our discussion is what you just mentioned, which is really the point of having access to capital. Because building wealth is about having access to capital. The reason for that is this. People talk about money management a lot, money management, money management. But do you know how millionaires and billionaires manage their money? The way they manage their money is they buy assets. That's how they manage their money. They buy assets. They use money to buy assets. That's what Monopoly is. The winner of Monopoly is the person who has acquired the most assets, resources, and money. That's what millionaires and billionaires do. So in order to buy assets or use money to buy assets, the next piece of that is how much capital can I get access to to buy more assets? So the leverage game or the credit game, in particular business credit and having access to it or, to your point, being able to leverage um, – uh, can you still hear me, Montoya? Um, yeah, we went out for a split second and said, um, yeah, to your point, being able to leverage credit, and then we lost you. Go ahead, King. Okay, yeah, okay, being able to leverage credit um, is uh, is all about being able to have more access to capital so that you can 
buy more assets. That is the main point of that. If you only have your capital, then you don't have as much leverage, meaning leverage simply means you can do more with less so or more with the same. If I only have my own capital and I'm competing against somebody that has their own capital plus an access to credit that they can go and get to leverage to do more, they're doubling up. They're doubling up on the ability to buy more assets. Now, the key is you got to use the money the right way. If you're leveraging money or, or, or taking advantage of credit and going and spending it, that's not the game. We're talking about using the money to buy assets because the second part of that clip that you didn't play, Montoya, was that in that example, we use mm-hmm. the access to the credit lines and the loan to invest and then get that 75K return and get to that 25K per month and climbing. But the other part of that clip was I then also took my own capital that I didn't mm-hmm. win and invested that as well. So now I had two lines of leverage. I had two lines to get a potential return out of that versus just my own. So that is what we're talking about. We're just talking about leverage and access to credit is about getting more access to money that you then use to buy assets, which to your point in the game of Monopoly, which is in the game of life or the game of business and money, is the winner is the person who has acquired the most money, resource, and assets and been able to leverage credit and and, and, uh, access to capital that way is an important piece. No, absolutely. Ashley, any thoughts again? Just, again, moving through this, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? I just feel like we're hitting a lot of key points that, are, in a sense, I would say uh, being often pushing, for example, by black movements and things of that nature. These are not the things I'm hearing. And so these are the things we need to hear if we're going to actually come up, one, come up with one uh, um, to a certain extent, in my opinion. Your thoughts, Queen? Yeah, I, it, it all makes sense, right? Like, it's, it's not a conversation that, that people have often. And, like, when you're specifically talking about investments and, like, leveraging, right, because cash is so important. It, it really gives you the ability to go into, a, I want it this way, right? And, and because it's cash, it's not finance, you have the ability to demand more with that dollar. And people don't realize what leveraging looks like because, all of the corporations that are on the market, right, they issue bonds. They're deciding to get that money from individuals, our counties, right? Like our entire economy is built on businesses, our counties, our government leveraging the cash from other people to do the things that they need to do. And, like, we really just don't understand that concept. So, again, companies issue corporate bonds so that they can borrow that money, pay it back at something measly, so that their cash is freed up for them to be able to go in and buy the real estate or buy proprietary software, things like that, right? Same thing with our, our, our government, right? Which is why, you know, like, I'm kind of unrelated, but when it comes to taxes, like, I tell people adjust that, right? There, there's no point in you waiting to get a refund um, at, at the beginning of the next year because, oh, it's good to have that couple thousand dollars, couple hundred dollars come in, you could actually, like, have more money come in right now that you can use for things to build your to build your portfolio, right, to invest it compared to waiting this one time. You're not making any money off of the government borrowing that money that you're paying in taxes. What are ways that we can be doing this smarter? And there are so many ways that companies are leveraging 
credit or borrowing that we just are not aware of that could really put us in a position that we could move forward and really invest and see businesses that we offer within our community growing. But again, it comes back to that knowledge. Absolutely. And we can share this show to hear everything we need to hear. (laughs) If you're out there listening now, make sure you're sharing this link out. Because, again, I knew this show would cover the things and bases that we need. I'm going to get Patrick back in here real quick. For the other caller out there, make sure you press 1 if you're trying to get in on this discussion. Patrick, we got about a minute before we go to break, so whatever you got to say, make it quick. Again, I wasn't coming at you. I actually love what you brought to the table. It just made me – you kind of evolved the conversation even more. So it wasn't directed at you. But go ahead, King. You got about a minute before we go to break. Yeah, I just wanted to say great conversation, great uh, information. Also, with, uh, you know, student, um, young people that are going to school, do think about those those professions that you could go into that will give you enough money um, so that you can have a certain type of lifestyle that you want. And you can think about things like insurance and that kind of thing. Um, I think picking the right, coming out with the right degree is is, is key. I'm tired of seeing uh, going to graduations where all of us are in like social work and everybody else is in engineering and, you know, other things. So just wanted to say that. Great discussion. No, I'm a, I'm a fan of, I'm a, definitely a fan of that thought. Just see where the f- future of the country is going. Infrastructure is badly needed. And so we are big encouragers of STEM technology educations. Um, again, only uh, people don't put this in perspective, but only 11% of the country are, are full-time entrepreneurs. When you add in the part-time, that goes to 16%. So 84% of us are, in a sense, working or employed, if you will. But as you said, Patrick, if you get enough income in the actual um, these fields that actually will pay you high, there's plenty of money left over to invest and not spend, as Mark said, and where we're just trying to live a, a lifestyle based on what we're spending. Let's take some of that extra extra income and buy these policies and sacrifice and leverage so that the next generation has even more money and go directly into ownership. We are up against the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. Every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. That even starts with um, clarity, meaning I believe the most important thing that you need to have to be successful or to lead people 
or to drive any movement is clarity. If you don't have clarity, you can't be aggressive. If somebody can't be aggressive in terms of moving something forward, you may get there eventually, but you're not actually going to be moving it at the speed that it needs to be moved, let alone the intensity that it needs to be moved and the preparation that it needs to be moved to actually make something happen. If, if, if people are unclear, they can't be aggressive, and we need aggressiveness. We need understanding. We need clarity on what we're actually trying to do, and, and I think that's what you're trying to, to point at. And then the other thing about capitalism that you mentioned was um, to respond to that, we're not going to change capitalism in, 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 in America. That, I mean, that is, a, that, is a, that is a useless effort to try to say we're going to change capitalism. It's not going to happen. That, that's not, that, that, I think that is putting your ladder against the wrong wall if you think the, the movement is to try to change capitalism. Um, W.B. Du Bois said that capitalism was like having three ears of corn. You eat one, you sell one, and you save one for next year's harvest. Now, if you think about capitalism in that, in that way, and we learn to adopt that philosophy, you can't tell me that we can't build something special. So when in Rome do as the Romans do, we're not going to change capitalism, but we need to understand it and then begin to use it to our advantage to the point we were talking about earlier, but then how can we use it to develop more in our community, have the right ideas, and then execute on it appropriately. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Special guest co-host, Ashley Thomas. You just heard the words, again, of our special guest this morning, Mark Ranger, CEO of Money Motivation. As I said, returning guest, so he's been here many times, and I've basically chopped up a lot of his own words to bring it back to the forefront because he's clearly constantly speaking um, this message, also being in the uh, finance world, a finance executive for a Fortune 300 company for a lot of years, uh, building his own practice. So all these things that you've heard, now you hear, again, his perspective about being here in America, constantly saying, hey, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I think this is very appropriate for this last segment to talk about, you know, what exactly does a black economic movement look like? Uh, you still not um, in that short clip, um, if you will, Mark, your thoughts of applying that clip to today's discussion. The first piece in that, or no, let, actually, let me talk about that W.B. Du Bois quote. You eat one, you sell one, you save one for next year's harvest. So when you eat one, you're a consumer. When you uh, sell one, you're an entrepreneur or you create businesses. And when you save one, you're an investor. You're a saver and an investor. I think we got the consumer piece down. We got to get the entrepreneurial piece and business piece and the saving and investing piece. And those are the components. When I stated, if we understand that, and can look at it that way instead of looking at it as an evil empire, then we can learn. The clarity piece that I talked about at the beginning, that's about information. And when we talk about building and what is an economic moment and how to build it, information is, is a big part of the key. My big brother, Ed Hopkins, who we know and love, Montoya, he made a comment one time that just stuck with me. He said, it's easier to close the wealth gap when you close the information gap. And that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And and, 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 and the secret to wealth, then, and taking that comment as an example, and I mentioned this earlier, is not what you do with your time. It's what you use that time to get exposed to, and that's about the information. So even we're talking about the stats, and I understand Patrick's mm-hmm. comment earlier, and it's not a comparison, nor is it mutually exclusive. It's about understanding what we may be missing. If there's a gap, we might be playing the wrong game. So we need to right. get the information. That's what it's about. And five minutes, I, I posted this yesterday, five minutes of the right information can save you five years of hard work and headache and trying to figure something out. You get the right information. Nah. 
if you get the right information. So how do you get the right information? It's book smarts, it's learning from others, and it's street smarts. Book smarts is your own independent study. We're in the information age. If you want to learn about the stock market, real estate, and business ownership, there is tons of information right now out there. You can do your own independent study. You can get degrees in it. We talk about education. Go to school for, for business. I got it. Look, I'm highly educated. So I know I talk about the priorities. I'm highly educated. I have a, 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 a bachelor's in business management, and I have an MBA in entrepreneurship and finance. But that was intentional. I got the information from a book standpoint to say I want to understand this and understand this game. Then there's learning from others. That's useful relationship, mentors, or riding shotgun with people who are successful. If you can learn that by learning from others, you can get the information. And the third is street smarts, meaning you actually do it. You actually do it. And if you looked at it as a hierarchy, book smarts would be here. Learning from others would be second, and the highest level of information is you doing it. And if you could do all three, you're dangerous. So getting that information and then being able to send the elevator back down is a big part of this economic movement and how people can move and actually, you know, move forward and where we get there. So, again, the key to wealth is ownership. The three ways to build wealth are the stock market, real estate, and business ownership. Use money to buy assets, and we got to get the information. we got to get the information. Now, that's a well-laid-out plan. Ashley, your thoughts to um, some of what uh, Mark's talking about here. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to intentionality. Right, like, and and so when I talk about being intentional, it's really kind of like piggybacking off of what Mark said, right? Like, what is the goal that you are looking to achieve? And being intentional is about being deliberate and having a purpose and and really moving towards that. And not all of us will be entrepreneurs, right? Like some of us, because it is a mindset. There are things that have to have in consideration. There are a lot of things that you can learn, um, but everybody's not going to be there. Intentional, right? Like, what what is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? And and I think for a lot of us, you know, that goal should be wealth of, of any kind, right? Whether that's um, having that knowledge, hopefully it's financially, right? Like, there, there are so many aspects, and, and when it comes down to it, are you going to be in Intentional about what you're going to do with your time, with your resources, and with your money. And I think what you said earlier with two months later, right, like in terms of getting that money together and, and how we're going to spend it and what we're going to do with it, like we, we, have, we have gotten consumerism down, but really it comes to like getting that money together so that we have that disposable income so that we can start shifting it to investing into stocks, into real estate. And we have to be getting ourselves in a position where we can control and command our money what to do. One of the examples I provide to my clients is that your money is a tool, right? If you don't do anything with your money when it comes in, it is going to sit in your account, right? Like assuming you don't have any type of auto payment. It is going to sit there. So your money literally does what you command it to do. And so until you get that clarity about what you want to do, how you want to command that money, we're going to continue this cycle. And, yes, we do have to get that under control on individual level, but as a community, as a collective, we have to determine that, like, what we're after 
what we are needing within our community is that wealth so that we can demand the change that we so deserve in this country and around the world. Um, but, but it starts with that clarity, that intention, and really getting our resources together so that we can use them, right? Because investing 101, whether it's stocks, real estate, or business, is that only invest which you're comfortable with losing. And unfortunately, we're not in a position where we can lose a lot. And we have to change that by using the knowledge, by using our mentors, by using other resources so that we can leverage those things so that we can do and command our money what we want it to do. No, absolutely. And let me just, if I can, kind of, you know, usually I'll give the wrap-up to, you know, back to you as my co-host or our, or our special guest. And I just want to bring the psychology of what I just heard from both of you into this game and just to give a small nuance that people probably captured, but just in case they didn't. And so, um, Ashley, you made some beautiful points uh, in the aspect of uh, both of you saying, hey, we have the consumerism down. And so I want to make sure we understand the clarity of, for example, having the consumerism down does not equal the myth of that we, for example, are the biggest spenders in the United States. The reality is America has consumerism down. Um, A brother by the name of Hazig Ali says the USA stands for the United States of Advertising. So understand that, and as Mark alluded to earlier, that those who are out there who are trying to co- control the messaging, uh, we were talking about politics at the time, but the same thing with where you and how you spend your money. Most of the average American does not have emergency funding. That is a reality. So mm-hmm. it's not necessary to make, it's not necessary, not, not that y'all have done this, but I'd like to get this clarity out there. So it's not necessary to make us worse than everyone else as being the biggest consumer, again, a myth. However, when we give you the reality of where the landscape of where we're at, it becomes more imperative that we just simply go get the knowledge. And I say that to say you can get the knowledge without downgrading where we're at and teaching the next generation that we inherently have a problem. We don't inherently have a problem. However, it is absolutely imperative that we listen to the Ashley Thomases and the Mark Rangers of the world and take a concerted effort such as the first thing that Mark said today to today's conversation was that ownership is key. I love how Ashley highlighted ownership does not mean you're necessarily running the business, owning a piece of, a stock, being an investor. And, and as she said, part of us having the least the least to lose, I fear ends up overcoming us. So therefore we don't invest because we're so afraid to lose. But Mark said it best. The knowledge, the information, five minutes of wealth can get you all of this this information to pass down. When you get the information, then you're not scared to jump when you realize it's only five feet down because you got the information. So same thing with investment. Get the information and follow everything that you've heard today. We got one minute. Mark, if you want to let people know how they can follow you again and get these amazing um, clothes, amazing clothing line that you have with Money Motivation. Thank you, King. You are wonderful. Go ahead, King. Yes, moneymotivation.com. Uh, the Instagram is moneymotivation.co. And I'm telling you right now, this this brand embodies everything we've been talking about today. You are not going to find better streetwear, better clothing on the street today, it is the number one brand when it comes to quality and when it comes to embodying what we're talking about, power and freedom. So moneymotivation.com. Uh, my Instagram is at Mark underscore Ranger. 
And uh, this is an incredible discussion. This is all about freeing yourself. Free yourself first. Be unapologetic about it. Stack and stay focused. And let's get on this economic freedom and autonomy because that should be our generation's legacy. Now, thank you so much. We're up against the end, Ashley. We'll, I'll, I'll post your um, IG and stuff with the show. Uh, we'll see y'all okay. next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. Thank you, Queen.